Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. We all know about that in my life and how hard that's been for me and also my listeners. You guys hear them talking about it on the mailbags. It is hard to manage finances with a partner. Putting away money for retirement, since I'm not going to be doing this podcast forever. Sorry, I guess I could, but retirement is huge for me. I am deeply focused on it right now and planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year. Taxes are a doozy and it's always changing. How do you know what to do? Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, this is Bad With Money, a show about finances and feelings where we don't talk down to you. I'm your host, Gabby Dunn. I've never had cancer, knock on wood. I've lost family members and friends to it, and my uncle currently has stomach cancer, but I have no personal experience with the diagnosis. So I thought maybe my inklings or opinions were irrelevant. But I couldn't help but always wonder how actual cancer patients and survivors felt about the monetizing of cancer. And along with it came the infantilization or the sexualization of the disease. Though those around me seemed content to buy pink items to celebrate breast cancer awareness or do runs for organizations that were unclear on where their donations were going, I always felt uneasy. I knew Susan G. Komen was disliked by most cancer patients and survivors, but I didn't really know why. And Save the Tatas became increasingly gross to me as I grew more hyper-aware of my gender and how doctors viewed me anyway. When I think of breast cancer, I think a lot about a very controversial plotline in the storied lesbian TV show, The L Word. 
In this storyline, a beloved character named Dana gets breast cancer. And it's juxtaposed story-wise with a character named Max deciding whether to get top surgery or gender-affirming chest surgery. It's a really horrible writing choice, and it resulted in me feeling like saving your breast from a disease was tied intrinsically to sexuality as a woman. The show paints being trans as an affront to cancer patients. That breasts were the only place the cancer stayed and that it was brave, female, sexy warriors that needed our help and our focus. I wondered if people with breast cancer were comforted by a football stadium full of cis men screaming that they better keep their boobies. I don't know. I lost my best friend and my grandmother to cancer when I was 14 years old and she had colon cancer and I had never seen the same sort of awareness or fundraising for colon cancer as I saw for breast cancer. So... I decided to ask. I was at a party hosted by the writer Amanda Montel, and she introduced me to her best friend, Racheli Alkobi, who she met while writing an article about people who blog or vlog their journeys with potentially terminal illnesses. Racheli was so open about her feelings on the issue, and it felt like kismet to meet her right when I was considering doing an episode about cancer, pinkwashing, fundraising, the cancer monetization industrial complex, etc., to my great delight, Racheli, who works for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, is our first guest today. It was Besheret that we met, which is a Hebrew word for faded. I just had always wanted to do an episode about cancer, and there Racheli was. Our next guests will be the hosts of the podcast Cancer for Breakfast, Stephanie Legioness and Amy Diles, who joined me to discuss the cancers that don't get the awareness, money, or empathy they need, like my best friend and grandmother's colon cancer, anal cancer, rectal cancer, lung cancer, and what it really looks like to have cancer. Why are women targeted for these campaigns? Why is it so controversial to call out cancer charities? Why do jails and police absolutely deserve scrutiny for their pinkwashing? Is there any money in curing cancer and eliminating an entire industry? That's just for Conspiracy Corner, for those of you who listen to my other show, Just Between Us, where I do Conspiracy Corner. I had so many questions and I'd been wanting to do an episode about pinkwashing and cancer for so long. So first, let's talk to Racheli. I'm Racheli and I am a cancer advocate and I actually work for a national nonprofit in the DEI sector. So it's diversity, equity and inclusion as well. What nonprofit do you work for? The Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Start at the beginning of, of your story. Okay. My story really starts in 2015. I was actually living in Florida, going to school. Um, and then my stepfather passed away and I moved back home. And after that, I was like, I am not going back to the West Coast of Florida. Like, it is not my place. I really love California. And I applied to one school out in Los Angeles and I got accepted. So I moved out to L.A., and I was working here as a live-in nanny and finishing my junior year of college. And I started to get really sick. And five months after moving to LA, literally all by myself, I had no family out here, nothing. I was like living with these stranger families and their babies. 
And ultimately, after a lot of investigating, doctors not knowing what was going on, saying I had bronchitis, saying I had a chest cold, and I'm like, give me an x-ray. There's something sitting on my chest. Like, I feel it. And they're like, no, it's a cold. And I'm like, go home and use a neti pot. And I'm like, okay. Um, but after a lot of advocating and just like trying out different doctors out here, it turned out that I had Hodgkin's lymphoma. Which if you're listening right now and you're like, I don't know what that is, neither did I at the time. Um, and it's a type of blood cancer. And the, the doctor that diagnosed me was like, you can cure it with a pill. You'll be fine. But like, no, that's not how it worked out. So I ended up getting on a red eye the next day back home to Florida. And I ended up being staged 3B, which meant that it was on both sides of my diaphragm which is more advanced and I was experiencing a lot of the symptoms. So I got 12 rounds of chemo and it was pretty hard. I had a lot of really bad side effects like blood clots in my lungs and lung toxicity. Um, but I'm really happy to say that as I sit here with Gabby, I am six years cancer free. What were the symptoms? Yeah, it was a lot of chest pain and coughing mostly. So it really felt and presented as bronchitis. And then when you would take steroids for bronchitis, like a Z-pack, it would subside a little bit. Um, I also had weight loss and back pain and night sweats. And like this one was weird, but I had some pain when I would drink alcohol and I just turned 21. Like I was super sick on my 21st birthday and not because I was having too much fun. So those were the main, main symptoms. Oh, also itchiness. Like my legs and feet were so itchy and I would get these like bumps on all my tattoos, like, like little bloody bumps that were like so itchy. How much did you know about like cancer and cancer fundraising before you were diagnosed? And when did you start learning more about it? I didn't know too much. I had participated in your average like breast cancer awareness fundraiser that was happening at school. I, I would do these like fashion shows, um, but I really did not know what I know now. And I started really learning when I was diagnosed. Why is, why is breast cancer the one that everyone knows about? Because... <laughs> You can sexualize it, I think. Uh, yeah, I have it written down here. Can we talk about how much I hate Save the Tatas? <laughs> yes. Can we talk about what that is and why it's so annoying? That money that they're using to sell that is not going to actual research for breast cancer, you know, treatments and things like that, which is so fascinating to me. And that was a lot of what I discovered in the marketing of this stuff when I dug deeper. Where is it going? Overhead for organizations to like keep pushing out awareness. Oh no. Wait, really? That's really it. I think it was discovered a few years ago that their CEOs were the ones that were like being paid this enormous amount of money, which nonprofit CEOs do make a lot of money in the U.S. for some reason. And like some, it makes sense. Some, the overhead is meeting the requirement. There's this like 75% to the dollar sort of average that a nonprofit that's actually effective um, makes. But Susan G was like way below that, what they were actually donating to the cause to the dollar donated. And it came out that it was like all going to the CEO and executive leadership. What ideally would the money be going to? Because I feel like people donate and they think, okay, they, they what do they think the money is going to, you know? We specifically have three pillars. So we have research, patient support, and advocacy. 
So a lot of our money does go to the research. We fund so many researchers that are actually proving treatments to cure and treat blood cancer and beyond. So a lot of the treatments that are originally researched to be blood cancer end up becoming like breast cancer treatments, diabetes treatments, arthritis, like things like that, which is amazing. Um, and the, it, the, the success of that is proved through FDA approvals which in the past you would get like two FDA approvals a year and that was something to really celebrate. But LLS has had a hand in funding like 16 of the 18 FDA approvals for blood cancer a year, which is an incredible feat. Um, and then there's patient support, which is something that I benefited from. It's offering patients either like copay assistance, travel assistance. So really that's more the like on the ground, supporting the people in your community type of thing. Um, and then there's a lot of advocacy work to make sure, like, what is the point of funding all this treatment if it's not accessible to people, you know? So making sure to advocate for healthcare rights and for insurance companies to cover the cost of um, some people have to take chemo pills for the rest of their lives. And unless it's a medicine that you take in the hospital, some insurances won't cover it. So then you're like stuck with this thousand dollar pill that you have to take for the rest of your life. So things like that. Exactly. I always hear from anybody I know who's had cancer that it's a, such an uphill battle with the insurance companies. What What is that? Why is that a thing? The biggest example I have is at my ninth chemo, I was sitting in the chair getting my treatment. And I was experiencing ch some chest pains, which is not good. You don't, you never want chest pains. If you're listening and you have chest pains, like call your doctor ASAP, even if you don't have cancer, you don't want chest pains um, and ends up being anxiety sometimes. But um, <laughs> the doctor was like, that's not good. Let's get you in a scan. So I did a scan and it turned out that I actually had blood clots in my lungs, which is very, very dangerous. And the insurance told my doctor in that moment we will not cover her hospital stay unless she takes an ambulance to the hospital. Um, and the waiting for an ambulance and the like paper and the, the lines you have to cross to get an ambulance to come to the hospital to take you there. It was like a lot. It wasn't like just call 911 and go. Um, and my doctor was fighting with the insurance company for like three hours before I could get to the hospital. He was like, I will drive her myself. Like, let's get her to the hospital. And then I ended up getting stuck with the bill for the ambulance because the insurance company didn't cover the ambulance. It was like this whole, I could not believe that that was my life in that moment. Like, I'm worried about blood clots in my lungs, but they're fighting over an ambulance and, and the hospital stay. Wow. In terms of cancer charities, is there some, does that fall under advocacy, trying to help people um, navigate stuff like that? Or even like, you know, if let's say you're out of work or is that part of like the advocacy part of it? So there's a whole department of social workers that are there to help you with that. Why do they have so many, um, like a lot, like they have a deal with the NFL, they have alliances. And like, obviously all, a lot of it is, well, we're taking the money for our CEOs and stuff, but we're doing um, awareness. And like, what does that mean? <laughs> and like, what, why is that, um, you know, prioritized so much over like research? Have you ever met somebody that didn't know what breast cancer was? No! 
So I have a tattoo on my wrist that is a cancer ribbon. And the day that I was going to get this, I was tell I was working in the beer industry at the time. So I was like at a bar with a client or something. And I told them I was getting a tattoo and they go, oh, are you going to make it pink? But that's how it is, right? It just hit me in a weird way. And it reminded me of, of that. I don't know if it's an issue, like too much awareness, but it's like, it's so honed in on this one. And then the other months of the year have all of these cancer awareness months, like blood cancer shares it with thyroid cancer, ovarian cancer. And so it's, there's never really a a one-stop focus on another type of cancer. And I don't know how awareness months are created. Like, I wish I knew the origin. Why was October selected for breast cancer awareness? It's the height of football season. So I think that that's where the, it like the relationship married, but, um, I don't know if you know that the NFL now, they've sort of changed it because I think people were super vocal about it, but now it's not just breast cancer. Now players actually get to choose what cause they want to advocate for during the month of October. And so um, there's one initiative they do, it's called My Cleats, My Cause. And so they'll design their cleats to advertise and bring awareness to an organization. But it's still, I mean, it's nothing compared to the awareness that breast cancer received you know yeah so we're doing two episodes basically on the different meanings of pink washing but what are what does pink washing mean in terms of cancer so it's really just like dropping pink on all the marketing to make people want to support your organization um not a nonprofit organization like to support your for-profit capital organization like yogurt yo play does this um you know a bunch of i all the bars do it during the month of October. They like decorate in pink and they're like, we're going to have a pink party. Yeah. I mean, I think the hypersexualization of it, the, oh, men should care about this. Like, I feel like there's an undertone to the NFL's um, relationship where it's like, men should care about this because you're going to lose boobies. And like, you're right. You're not seeing the, the, you know, chemo side effects or the vomiting or the hair loss or like any of that because it's so focused on like we got to save the boobies. You're right that it makes it sort of cutesy. And also this thing where you're right, like, yo, you know, Yoplait can throw pink on it or um, I mean, and how much do we know about like, do they say that they donate? Companies that do this, they talk about awareness versus like, Cure. So they're like, oh, we're raising awareness or like buy this and we'll donate. But the money goes to like raising awareness and not necessarily the research or the or the patient support. My favorite is it'll be something like (laughs) it'll be like a company that like dumps chemicals in the water. I agree. And I think the best thing to do is a like there's Charity Navigator there. There are online resources to see what organizations are doing and and how much impact they're having towards the research in the actual community. And then like I challenge you to follow some cancer patients and survivor advocates online and see what they're asking you to support, because that's like where you can really find how they're actually benefited. Like the reason I work for LLS is because I actually benefited from their their work. Yeah, I mean, how can you tell if a cancer charity is legit? Every organization should be releasing an annual report. And this should be on their website where at the end of every fiscal year, they should be releasing exactly where their money went. And you can literally look through it and be and see how much they fundraised and how much they're putting out into where. 
There's Charity Navigator, which sometimes isn't always the most reliable, but it's a good place to start. It's a website that you can literally pull up and search any charity you're thinking about, or you can search by cause. You can say, I want to support this cause, and then it'll give you a whole list of organizations and it has them ranked and it gives you some more details. I think Charity Navigator even shows you how much the CEO is getting paid. Um, So it's very transparent. So those are the two best ways to go the extra step and actually look into it. I really love reading nonprofit annual reports and just seeing like what the organization is up to and and exactly where the money is going. What about the GoFundMe, the like, you know, spate of GoFundMes? I mean, I think the GoFundMes are just a response to America's healthcare policy, right? It's like this joke when a cancer patient gets diagnosed, there you have a starter pack. It's like you make a bracelet, you have a hashtag, like hashtag Rachelle Strong and a GoFundMe. And it's really upsetting. I think I've never seen a GoFundMe that an organization puts on. Like that's not something I really have seen as a commonality, but like I had to have a GoFundMe when I was going through treatment because there's a lot of co-pays there's the deductible to me, there's extra costs that are not even covered by insurance, which is wild to me. Wow. I wanted to talk to you about a little bit about like the natural remedies being sold. So like these cancer companies that are, you know, oh, well, if you buy this oil, you know, so like, what what are some examples of that? And how do you catch that? Well, I almost fell into that, Gabby. <laughs> oh, I, um, okay. So before I was diagnosed, I, I, and it's still like I'm a very, I would say, holistic person. Like I do lean towards homeopathy, but also I take medicine when I need it. And when I was diagnosed, I was like, oh, maybe there's an opportunity for me to treat this without chemo. So I like went raw for a week and I like I was really thinking about it and at my second chemo the chemo was like so harsh on me that I was crying in bed like I'm just gonna do it natural and I'm gonna go this route and I think it's because there are so many of these stories online that tell you you can do that um when obviously the scientists and the doctors are like no don't do that um or do it as an addition. And so that's what I did. I took like more of a complimentary approach. Like I still, you know, was doing acupuncture. I was, you know, doing my herbs and my supplements, but like in addition, yeah. Um, I don't know if you heard the story about Johnny Straws, but. No, tell me. So when I was, I was done with treatment at this point. Um, and I was in an online community on Facebook and a guy came into the group. And he was like an online influencer in the fitness space. And he told everybody that he had lupus and non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And he then was like, the chemo's not working for me. I'm going to go the all natural route. And so he started pushing this and sharing this on his platform. Like he's doing the all natural route. He was like taking trips to Mexico to get like the IVs and everything. And he would like, share like small snippets him and I got really close actually because he lived in California so like I actually met him and I took him out to lunch I I, when he was about to start chemo originally I made him a whole care package and like was really invested in his in his journey um but then he started sharing all of this like natural hoo-ha um that was like 
unsupported by any evidence. And it what it was it was it started to become really shady. And then he started asking his followers for a bunch of money for his natural treatments because insurance wouldn't cover natural treatments. Ultimately, he like took so much money from people. Um, and then he completely disappeared off the face of the earth. <gasps> and everybody was just like, where is Johnny? Like, we started doing all this investigative work. Me and some other people that got close to him, like, started actually re-looking at the screenshots of, like, things he would send us. And it all ended up being a lie that he even had cancer to begin with. Oh, no. Oh, no. So he, like, he... The sh- the crappiest part of it is that he, like, infiltrated a cancer community and got all of our support and then whatever. And then he, like, resurfaced a few months ago as Ringwalk John and, like, was doing the betting on boxing, not even addressing the – like, he changed his last name. I was waiting for it to turn into buy my product. I Oh, he was like, I'm not going to make a GoFundMe. I'm going to sell everything I own. I'm going to sell my product and I'm going to sell my my sessions, my workout sessions with you. And he would do that and then he would disappear. So he didn't have to fulfill the workout sessions. He didn't deliver half of his treatments. The thing about that is that it targets vulnerable people who are like moms, right? So this is targeting vulnerable people who have cancer. Uh, if you read Cultish by Amanda Montel. Oh, your bestie, Amanda. Yeah. <laughs> um, in her MLM chapter, she actually, I, my pseudonym in her books are, is Esther. So she talks about me and how when I was going through treatment, MLMs were, were preying on me. They, they would reach out to me. There, there was one back in the day. I don't think that it, um, is still in works. It's called It Works. And they did hair supplements and like wraps for your belly and things like that. And it was all about hair growth. And so while I was going through treatment, they were all in my inbox trying to sell me It Works like supplements. And and somebody gifted them to me because they were a friend of my mom's who sold It Works. And I was like using them and not knowing like that it was MLM. But then when I wanted more, it was like, oh, okay, like go to my website and da 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 and like all this stuff. I really enjoyed when you were talking about the ugliness of it and the the fact that like save the tatas and everything is pink and you know that it's like this palatable way to look at cancer when you know without having to deal with the ugliness of it. This might not have to do with anything, but the 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 way that they do the commercials for St. Jude's with all the celebrities and like the inspiring celebrities and then like a bald kid. You know what I mean? Like it's always that. I mean, it's effective because they raise so much money, um, but it's an, it's doesn't feel good as like a cancer survivor to like experience it in that way, you know, like, but sometimes I feel St. Jude's is a great organization though, actually. So they're one of the good ones, I will say. Um, they actually do really life-changing work for patients, especially the little ones, Um but yeah, I, you know, I feel like there's not really one right way to do any of this because if they were to then do it where they're not showing the bald child and it's just. Well, then are you hiding the reality of it? I know, but it feels exploitative when I see it. I'm like, oh, what else? What is getting swept under the rug? What organizations are getting swept under the rug in favor of, you know, these bigger places that have just like mountains of press? Yeah, I mean, all, all regions or like states and cities have their local organizations that are definitely worth looking into there's also if you're just trying to like 
learn more. I, I make videos and I always say that I would love if people that weren't affected by this actually watched this stuff so that they can understand, you know, beyond like what they see in those St. Jude's commercials. Like it's not just me as a bald person. And there's, I think a very, if we're talking cancer specifically, a very big misconception that once somebody is done with treatment, that it's all over. Um, and so there's this whole like life after cancer and survivorship aspect that in a lot of ways I think is more difficult than what I went through during treatment mentally. If you come across content of this nature, you know, digest it and and watch it just to learn the experience. I think seeing what your local oncology centers and hospitals are doing is a great way to see where to support because they're really invested in really working with organizations that support them and actually getting patients the help they need. So out here in LA, like UCLA has partnerships with certain organizations and that's how you know, like, okay, those are organizations that I think make sense to support. Um, American Cancer Society has really wonderful resources and it's across the board. So I actually think that they're a great organization to look into as well. And LLS and American Cancer Society, if you go on their website, sometimes there are things that they're very aware that they can't offer a patient. And on their site, they have, okay, we don't offer this, but here's all the places that do. So here are the links that do. So go here. And so I think that's really wonderful as well. The the partnership that you see across the organizations. Well, thank you so much. Where can people find you and more about you? I'm on the Instagram. Um, my username is Radiant Racheli. Thank you so much. This is like an episode I've wanted to do for so long. I hope that it was everything you hoped for. I really, I, I appreciate you having me on and opening up this conversation and bringing awareness to it because I, I don't think enough people not in the cancer space do that. And so I really appreciate it. Our next interview is with Amy and Stephanie of the podcast Cancer for Breakfast. It's so honest and tough and incredible. And I am so honored to be able to have these conversations on this show. So now Amy and Stephanie. I'm Amy Diles. I'm one of the hosts of Cancer for Breakfast with Amy and Steph. I'm Stephanie Lejeunesse. I'm the other half of Cancer for Breakfast, the podcast. I am sort of an erstwhile ghostwriter. I spent my whole career writing Um And I had three kids and that really curtailed my career significantly. And then I got cancer. So um, I'm just kind of doing this. I'm uh, volunteering. I'm like the consummate volunteer in my community. Yeah. So I was going to say, so start with Amy. What what kind of cancer did you have and what's your or do you have and what's your um, like story with it? I had it's always weird to say had because I hopefully had and it's in the past um stage 2b breast cancer I had um a lump that I found when I was breastfeeding that was discredited by my doctor unfortunately and so um about I think 14 months later I realized it was still there and because my daughter bit me and so then I went back and yeah so I had breast cancer I did the whole nine yards the whole chemo the surgery, a couple surgeries, even though I'm quote unquote done, right? Mm -hmm. I still do weird things all the time. I take pills every day to, to make me not recur and to make, if there are any stray cells, not go somewhere else in my body. 
And so I was doing this infusion to like strengthen my bones to make it so cells would have a harder time taking hold there and stuff. Woof. I was diagnosed what we call de novo, um, which means you are stage four from the jump, which sucks. Wow. <laughs> um, and I have invasive lobular carcinoma. It's a different type than Amy's, but still breast cancer. And lobular carcinoma is a lot harder to detect sometimes because it doesn't show up as a solid lump that we are used to looking for with breast cancer. It can look like a thickening in your breast. And unfortunately, when you are breastfeeding, and I breastfed for 10 years. Right. And I was initially diagnosed by a local small town rural oncologist as having a lower stage of cancer. He thought that I was probably stage two, but what it turned out was that I had extensive lymph node involvement and bone involvement also. So um, I'm very lucky that I get to go to Seattle, which has a world-class cancer clinic, um, and they diagnosed me correctly. And it's really wild to be a stage four cancer person and be kind of maintaining. Like we have this idea that stage four cancer diagnoses mean that you just steadily decline and then you mm -hmm. die. But um, thankfully, that's not the case for all of us. So I do take I have, you know, a whole <laughs> scat of treatments that I do daily and monthly I uh, get scans every three months to see if the cancer's progressing. Thankfully, knock on wood somewhere, it's not so far. And um, I'm just, you know, kind of trying to live my life while I can. Yeah. I mean, so you guys, uh, you guys pointed me to an episode of your show that has the funniest name ever, which is Marlboro Pinks, <laughs> uh, which is a play on Marlboro Reds. So what is pink washing? So... Essentially, pinkwashing is like a marketing tactic. It is what is it's known as cause marketing. Um, and so in this case, like a company is going to take like a pink ribbon or like, um, you know, make their product pink. You've seen it a million times. You see it every October or as we call it, Pinktober. Um, the consumer is led to believe essentially that they're helping this cause, right? You know, like I'm going to get a candy bar, so I might as well get the one with like the pink label or something. Yay, I did my part. But as we're going to discuss, there's a very interesting dark side to all of this. Is this company even actually donating anything to breast cancer research or to a worthwhile breast cancer charity? And if they are donating to a charity, like, is there a cap on how much they're donating? Oftentimes there is. And um, what is this charity doing with all of this money that they're raising through these brands, right? Some of these companies kind of blow. Um, and <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Spoiler alert, Susan Komen. Not all they're cracked up to be. You know, a little secret, a lot of people in the breast cancer community actually hate Pinktober. It's really triggering, which is something a lot of people don't know. We're not um, celebrating anything. It seeing all this stuff reminding us of what we're going through. Oh, for sure. And and I think like you you touched on uh research versus awareness, right? So right. like everything turns pink and it's like how, am I not aware of breast cancer? Like, right. you know, do I right. live under a rock versus like um 
you know, a lot of these companies will just be like, we turn this pink for awareness, but the money you spend on the product doesn't actually do anything versus like money that's actually going to breast cancer research right. is a totally different thing. Um, so yeah, Steph, what were your examples or what were you going to say? We have so many. It's really a never ending list of companies and corporations that use breast cancer to make money. Like Amy said, there's often a donation cap regardless of sales. And that can be as low as $10,000, $30,000 for multi-billion dollar corporations. Major League Baseball is one that's hugely, hugely popular in the United States, right? They're a $1.2 billion industry and they have themed game nights for breast cancer. They sell pink bats and balls and clothes, and they give annually $100,000 to Susan G. Komen, which is just a drop in the bucket. There are so many ridiculous ones that also actually sell things that cause cancer or oh, contribute yeah. oh, to cancer. Oh, yeah. So Estee like Lauder and Avon products, yeah, they have whole campaigns of products with pink ribbons as part of their breast cancer marketing. And they contain hormone disruptors and other known carcinogens like parabens and stuff. It makes me just laugh. It, it brings me so much joy and sadness at the same time. But Susan Coleman has one a perfume and it's called Promise Me. And it has like <laughs> known carcinogenics. And how much money, and I don't have this number, how much money does Major League Baseball spend promoting all of this pink stuff that they're doing to show people what a great company that they are, you know, Correct. Right. changing the merch that, exactly all the time. Oftentimes with brands, it is they're spending more money on marketing than they're actually donating to whatever the cause is that they're choosing. Steph, what was what was the thing with alcohol? A lot of us struggle with alcohol because it's such a part of American culture. And even, you know, like we've got listeners in Europe and stuff. It's Something that is really hard to advocate, people totally give up. But the research is super, super clear that having any alcohol consumption increases your risk of breast cancer specifically. And so while it's like super unfun to point this out, <laughs> it's also really weird that so many alcohol companies like Mike's Hard Lemonade, Cheryl Crow, who's a breast cancer survivor, has a winery that she uses to market breast cancer awareness wine that's so interesting i would think more like liver cancer you know like that's like so much um so much more clearly linked to alcohol too right and that's an interesting thing you know we brought up earlier breast cancer awareness campaigns don't actually raise much awareness as far as education goes about breast cancer and it, I feel like there's some sort of like almost superstition in our culture about cancer where you don't want to look at it directly. You'll just kind of like toss some shekels its way and hope for the best. And that is a huge problem because the people who have cancer can't be the ones responsible for raising awareness and actually educating others all the time because we honestly just don't have the wherewithal. So. Mm -hmm. What we need people to understand is, for one thing, it's not just about boobs. Breast cancer isn't even specifically like a, a trans man issue. You know, everybody who has breast can get can get breast cancer. Yep. Um, but it is further marginalizing when you have trans people who need to seek out cancer care and 
they have to like continually come out. We have queer listeners who bring this up a lot on our podcast that they feel already so vulnerable. And then having to feel like they're not represented in the very cause that's supposed to lift them up is really lame. You know, it's just like not cool. And then you have also people who just don't understand the way breast cancer works. We've got um, people who think that once you have breast cancer and it's quote unquote cured, then you're good forever. But breast cancer has a 30% recurrence rate. And the thing that kills people is when it moves to other parts of your body, liver, brain, lungs. um, And those are the sites that end up killing people. And we don't see a lot of awareness in the community about that still being breast cancer. People think that you like, oh, I got brain cancer, or she got brain cancer. But no, she had breast cancer. It just moved to her brain. Focusing really on stage four is is so important because that's the one that kills us. 4% of breast cancer research funding goes to stage four. You can go straight from stage one. You've done the chemo. As far as they know, there's you're good. Take a pill. Do, you know, go about your life. And a couple years later, it, it can come back in your bones. It can come back somewhere else. It can come back right. in your organs. And then at that point, you're going to have cancer. They haven't done anything. Yeah. yeah. Right. They haven't done the research. They haven't done any sort of like funding for research for stage four or for, I don't even think research. I think people also are just not aware, like Steph said, that cancer is is not just localized in one place. It moves. It can show up in other places. The whole sexualization of like save the tatas and boobies and whatever is like, hey guys, we don't want to lose boobs. And it's like, that's the least of your problems. People always say free boob job. It's like, it is not a free boob job. When you look at black women in the US, they are more at risk for dying of breast cancer. They're more at risk of developing stage four cancer, they have a higher risk of the more aggressive cancers. And yet they have so little representation in these marketing campaigns. Um, And when they do get representation, it feels so much like tokenism. The the hyper feminization of breast cancer, it's almost infantilizing. It is absolutely infantilizing. Where it's this, um, you know, I keep, I was doing a bunch of research. I kept butting up against like brave warriors. Oh my goodness. You're hitting it quite on the head. (laughs) (laughs) I did a lot of research and I'm very angry. (laughs) Well, (laughs) so many of the resources that we see for even just cis women with breast cancer, it's, um, like microblading, it's false eyelashes, it's wigs. Wigs. And that's fine for people who really acutely feel that loss of their femme identity. But something really interesting that I have seen over and over again in our community that Amy and I have created with our podcast is people feeling for the first time at the loss of their hair and the loss of their breasts, the freedom to really explore their gender identity or feeling forced to explore their gender identity and being pushed to a really uncomfortable place and coming out the other side with a very different idea of their own gender. And it's leaving so many people in the lurch and so many people unrepresented and without actual functional help. We, we've tried to focus during the month of October 
on charities that we really love and support. And a lot of them are small local charities that offer things like um, meal services and house cleaning for single parents who are going through breast cancer and um, travel buddies Mm -hmm. and things like that. And these are like the day-to-day sort of supports that actual people need. They don't need fake eyelashes. I mean, some (laughs) of them might, but... For a lot of... um young breast cancer people which if you're diagnosed under 40 that puts you in this category of being like uh, uh, young for cancer right um, AYA is AYA. What we call it. um and Steph and I were both diagnosed when we were 39 this whole pink ribbon thing came about in the the early 90s like I want to say like 93 or something we start seeing pink everywhere um many of us when when breast cancer was happening when we were kids to our aunt's friend and our friend's mom and and then they went on to die um metastatic breast cancer treatment was very very different back then so it was way more common for it to take you down a lot more quickly than it does now where people now with the treatments they have are living much longer which is fantastic but still not good enough um But like for me, all the pink stuff throughout my life, I would see that and I would be reminded of my parents' friend, Janet, who died. Or really scary things like my first experiences of knowing people with cancer and how scary that was for me. So then when I became suddenly not this perfectly healthy young person anymore and I walked into this world where I had to look in the mirror and be like, me, me. And maybe uh, older generations are less comfortable talking about the like gross I mean like you get you talked about it like suspiciously right you have to stay positive because you might jinx yourself into death right exactly how do we feel about Movember (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know it's so interesting that Movember is the closest thing you get to Pinktober right um but what's so weird about Movember is that it's not commodified in the same way because the commodity grows on the face Right. You're not buying anything. You're not like turning anything pink. It's just a bunch of people growing mustaches. And, you know, we don't just talk about breast cancer in our podcast. We really do talk about all kinds of cancer. We have all kinds of cancer people in our community. Breast cancer stuff could have gone a lot farther in paving the way for people to talk honestly about things like prostate cancer and anal cancer and rectal cancer. Exactly. The ones that nobody wants to mention because... They still feel embarrassing to talk about. But I think that it's a real missed opportunity for those older generations. Like now we're having to pick up the slack because they felt so uncomfortable and they, you know, put up with all of this pink garbage when they could have been saying like, you know, this is what your nipple looks like when you have cancer. Yes. Um, You know, this is what your skin looks like. This is what a mastectomy scar looks like. And we have a friend who has just launched a website It shows people's actual mastectomy scars from, you know, beginning to end of the process. And it's called Empowered Mastectomy. So many pictures people have sent in. But I think that like prostate cancer has has gotten a similar treatment in some ways and that it's like a joke, like turn your head and cough, you know, is is a big joke. Right, right. I think, like I said, what Movember has going for it is it's not commodified in the same way that breast mm-hmm. cancer stuff is. Mm-hmm. I like to see people talking about an uncomfortable subject. I would love to see rectal and anal cancer, you know, yes. go that same direction. But 
it's it's hard to be in one of the like it's so this is so weird to say but like the popular cancer right like you have to kind of hoist others up so another thing that your marble pinks episode touched on that I was like really mind-blowing for me was the idea of women as consumers right so Movember men don't buy things even though that's a complete lie have you ever been to Sharper Image but uh but can you explain a little bit of like women as consumers which is like they'll go up to the you know front of the cashier and buy the pen and buy the you know uh, the thing that's for sale basically Well, yeah, I think that women have been so conditioned to be terrified of breast cancer for good reason. I mean, um, over your lifetime, you have a one in eight chance if you're a cis woman of getting breast cancer. Um, And that's a scary statistic. For one, we're an easy target in that way. And for two, I think that we are cis women, myself being one, we're seen as frivolous consumers. We're the the family's shopper. And we are also seen as naive consumers, I think, in a lot of ways. And so these companies prey on women who they believe won't go the extra step to do the research into where their money is going. They don't want to interrogate cancer. You know, right. it's, it's still off-putting. It's like gauche. You don't want to call out the cancer charity like oh we're gonna get to that yeah don't look too hard at it or it'll come for you you know right Uh, if you say it three times it's like bloody mary (laughs) right (laughs) susan 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 Uh, okay. So, right. So you mentioned, you know, someone on our Instagram asked actually about the discrepancies in funding and, you know, that some cancers deserve more or whatever. And like, so you were, you kind of touched on some are embarrassing and that's why, you know, you're not going to get a bunch of families together to dance in tutus for anal cancer or, you know what I mean? So like, why are some like so invisible? And I think maybe some of it too, like my theory with lung cancer is people go, well, you deserve it. Right. And we have so many people, I don't want to say so many, but we do have a few people that have never smoked cigarettes who say they get that all the time or people assume, you know, there's not some sort of environmental link or genetic link that also contributes to all sorts of cancers. Absolutely. And it's, it, what it, what I have found is that it really takes somebody who's willing to be the face of it. Like there is a woman um, named Deborah who goes by the handle Bowel Babe, and she's huge in the UK, and she has bowel cancer. And you know she's like super glamorous, and she goes to all these like galas and stuff for all of the like whatever frivolity you would accuse her of. She has done more for bowel cancer mm-hmm. than any number of charities could do with with outreach campaigns totally. and things like that. Um, and we see that over and over in our communities where people who show off their ostomy bags or yes. people who, you know, taking away some of the mystery around things makes it so much easier to talk about. And um, I think that that goes for anal and rectal cancers. Of course, I have big theories about how those disproportionately affect gay men. And so. So, um, right. Then people, you know, get real like weird about that or even doctors. Right. I remember a friend of mine, straight guy had like a anal cyst and uh, and his doctor kept being like, are you sure you haven't? Are you sure? And I was like, dude, come on. He's already here. Well, we find a lot that people will 
go to any lengths to other cancer people just because it's too scary to confront. It's too scary to be somebody who could possibly get cancer. And so you'll find any number of reasons why you're not them. Um, Can we talk politically? So the pink badges on cops and then uh, not giving a shit about health care. Oh, my God. (laughs) Steph, tell them about what is it like the jail parties that you donate money to get out of jail? What is it? (laughs) The unfortunate thing about breast cancer is that it affects so many people that it's really just like a cross section of the country. Yep. And so when you criticize cops and copaganda, people don't always take kindly to it. Of course. um, I find it really, really disgusting. (laughs) Personally, Um, there there are often these fundraisers where people sign up to be arrested and then their friends and family have to donate money to bail them out, quote unquote, bail them out. And then this money supposedly goes to some sort of breast cancer charities. You know, it's usually the American Cancer Society Mm -hmm. or Coleman or whatever. Well, and it's also interesting because we what are we doing for uh, people with cancer who are in prison? It's just kind of like almost like willful ignorance. I think that that's totally true. It's really myopic. You know, I try to assume positive intent of everyone except for the police. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But Black people have poorer outcomes in this country. When they get diagnosed with cancer across the board, every single type of cancer, they have poorer outcomes than white people. Um, And it is something that's not talked about because in addition, it's like just an additional layer of discomfort. Like people don't want to talk about cancer and then they don't want to talk about racism and Mm -hmm. they don't want to be complicit. But it's, it's so many layers of really messed up stuff. And it's at a government level. You know, I, I appreciate deeply that Joe Biden feels a commitment to cancer research because of losing his son. That's great. Um, interestingly, the federal government is the biggest contributor to cancer research um, in the United States. What about the gas and oil lobbies? Exactly. What about the, <laughs> what about the military budget? I mean, like, there's uh, all kinds of stuff that could be done a lot better. Um, and, you know, not having health care system that can sustain health for all of the people in this country makes it a difficult sell to me. Because curing cancer doesn't mean that it exists in a lab it means that it's got an application that can be widely used. Well, here's my, here's my, now welcome to what we call on my other show, Conspiracy Corner. What about the people who say, well, there's no money in curing cancer. Cancer is a billion dollar industry. It's a whole industry. There's actually, again, I'm not like the people that I read about who were like, they cured cancer in the 60s, but nobody's (laughs) allowed to know. But like, it did make me start thinking like, is there any money in curing cancer? Well, like I like to say, slash hate to say, the customers keep on coming. So we don't, Steph, we don't believe it. We've said we don't. And the reason that I don't believe it is because when you become a cancer person like I am, I mean, there are plenty of cancer people who are not psychos like I am and do these like crazy, like join Onco Twitter and like DM research candidate like fellows and ask them for their papers for free. There are thousands of faithful 
scientists who commit their lives to pretty thankless work. Like when you look at the papers, these are people who know that they're going to start researching something and they will probably not see the end of that research before they die. And still they show up to work every day. I think that it would be a lot easier to assume ill intent of the companies that manufacture and market the drugs that we would rely on. Mm -hmm. Um, Amy can talk about Urso. Maybe there's a drug that's... It is this amazing seemingly drug that it's very promising in mice for for curing curing that's a word i do not use lightly metastatic breast cancer which as we've discussed is right now not curable so it in mice shrunk metastatic tumor sites around the body by like 95 to 100 percent wow in all the mice that they did and um in three days. So this was bonkers. And the, you know, breast cancer community obviously got pretty hyped up about that. Um, and then so Bayer bought it. They gave they gave $25 million up front to the scientific arm that was developing the drug. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we're all just waiting with bated breath. And then Bayer stopped it. So now there is like this huge activism community um there's like a facebook group called urso yeah urso activism for breast cancer and all of these people are working and they're contacting people i don't believe that bayer buried it because it was going to cure metastatic breast cancer and then they weren't going to be able to there's probably toxicity issues no conspiracy corner (laughs) conspiracy corner yeah, I mean, I think that it's it's really easy to be super skeptical of the drug marketing and manufacturing companies right. because I think mm-hmm. it's been proven time and again that they have their bottom line um, at heart. They aren't necessarily all about the science. Bayer owns Roundup too now. Bayer does own, own <laughs> What's Monsanto. Like they Ron own Santo? Monsanto. Yeah, <laughs> Y'all... there you go. There's there's a little bit for your conspiracy corner. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I do want to get into because we did mention it a little bit in the beginning. And now I, I can't talk about a couple things I did want to talk to. But let's circle back to this one thing we we're talking about, which is people not wanting to interrogate cancer. So because that's why there are so many cancer scams. Well, I think it's just too scary. You know, it's one of the last frontiers of like true terror. You're your most vulnerable, you're your most scared, and you would literally do anything not to be in that situation. And your family members would do anything to get you out of that situation. And that's why every single person, when they, I like to call it their acceptance, their cancer acceptance speech, when they like have to go onto social media and be like, you guys, I'm going to be okay. I promise. But I have to tell you, I have breast kids or whatever. There's always the comments of people telling you've got to read this book it cured my aunt of she had the exact same thing and then you know two weeks later they come back and say actually my aunt didn't have breast cancer she had a fibroid and but she did drink celery juice and never got can you know there's this guy I love to throw him under the bus I, I don't know if you get in trouble for <laughs> calling people out but this this guy <laughs> goes by Chris beats cancer he's a, a cancer guy who had surgery to remove his was it colon cancer that he had yeah i think it was colon cancer i love cancer. i love using people's direct names sometimes i'll be like i don't want to call this person out never mind here's their name yeah. nobody yeah. nobody <laughs> pressured me i do this show alone but but he 
he tells people not to do chemo. He says, I chose not to do chemo. I turned chemo down. No, 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 Chris, you got surgery and that cured your cancer. You were lucky. You were recommended chemo as a safety in case perhaps there were cells in your body that they couldn't see. Also, bad news, Chris. Time isn't over. You could still get chemo. <laughs> right. <laughs> Have a recurrence. But people swear by it. And people say no to chemo because they read his book and they listen to his podcast and they mm. believe that chemo is bad. And they mm. turn down cancer treatment and they die. They literally die. That's the thing. It's not a joke. Also, just the fact that, like we said earlier, the awareness campaigns haven't actually spread much awareness. And so people Mm -hmm. don't know what cancer looks like. The science has changed too fast for people to keep up with what cancer actually looks like. And so, like, you have people like Belle Gibson, who said she had brain cancer, and people were like, okay, sounds legit. But nobody knew anybody who had brain cancer. Nobody knew what brain cancer looked like. And so... They couldn't ask the right questions. Mm -hmm. They couldn't spot the lies. But any cancer person that saw it was like, this isn't what, you know, (laughs) that's clearly not how this works. Uh, Oh, my God. Well, thank you so much. I could I literally have six more questions, but I can't I don't have time. So where can people find you guys and and more about you guys and listen to your show? Anywhere you can listen to a podcast, wherever you're listening to this podcast, you can search for Cancer for Breakfast. We are there and we're pretty active on Instagram. We're just Cancer for Breakfast there as well. And we're on Twitter as at Cancer Breakfast. Cancer Breakfast. That's right. And I want to give a plug to a really amazing organization um, called Metaviver. Since 2009, 100% of donations go to stage four cancer research. They just gave their um, grant awards, which totaled $3.65 million. It's a wow. wonderful organization. I would love it if, if everybody kind of shifted their their support to them because they're the ones that I hope will find the cure. And they're the ones that you see constantly shouted out by other breast cancer people that are in our yeah. community on Instagram. Like, I swear to God, we vouch and so do our friends. Very nice. <laughs> thank you, thank so you so much, much for oh having my God. us, Gabby. No, thank you. The more we treat cancer like a boogeyman we're never allowed to talk about or interrogate, the less likely we are to make sure the money is going to the right place or that insurance is working for our most vulnerable populations. The more we treat it like a cute side project and not something with unbearable and not spoken about symptoms, the less likely we are to be proactive about our health in a real way and the more likely dangerous scams are to flourish. We can't just throw donations at anything with the word cancer on it and we can't let people running cancer scams get away with what they're doing. Awareness is not enough. We need to look cancer right in the face and see the truth so that our efforts are actually beneficial. Listen to people like Racheli, Amy, and Steph. They're out there, and they deserve your attention. Not just your half-assed, thrown-away dollars on pink-labeled yogurt, perfume, cleats, and pens. I would love to hear more from you. Be sure to email me at gabbyisbadwithmoney at gmail.com or leave me a voicemail at 844-474-4040. You can also email me a voice memo if you prefer. Join our online communities too. We're on Instagram, TikTok, Discord, Patreon, and Facebook. Links to all of those will be listed in the episode description. And do not forget to listen to the show the day it drops so we can get on the charts and spread the word. Thank you so much. This episode means so much to me, and I'm so glad that I was able to dig deeper into this thing that had always sat wrong with me. So thank you to Racheli, Amy, and Steph for coming on the show. Thanks. Bye. Bye. 
done. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.